What's up, everybody, and welcome back to For the Haters Podcast. Uh, before we get started, I'm just going to go around the room and let you know who is here. We have Devin. Oh. <laughs> no, we don't. Just, just kidding. <laughs> Devin's not here today, so <laughs> we, <laughs> we have Laura, who is our writer. Devin's here in spirit. Yeah. Laura Hello, Pimos. guys. What's up? <laughs> you have myself, Becky. Um, I definitely f- always forget to introduce myself, but um, what's up, everyone? Welcome back. Um, and then we have our special guest, Linda. Linda, if you want to say hi. Hello. <laughs> Do you want to say anything else? Just hi. Just hello. You're good? Okay. All right, I'm good. Cool. I'm good. We're, we're getting warmed Happy up. Happy to be here. <laughs> we're getting warmed up here, guys. Um, if you guys haven't done so already, please go to our YouTube channel and check out our video. Um, you know, Linda's episode is really important, and you guys should go check it out to, you know, get more of a baseline to her story because, you know, this goes off and feeds off of that. Um, kind of just to jump right in. I say that on every episode. Every, it's like by rote. Yeah. Every single time. But it is like, let's just jump right in. Um, Linda, if you kind of want to just give us a sum up of, you know, the reason you're here, um, kind of a sum of the video that we just put out. So if you want to just go through your life, just the, <laughs> she's staring at me like, oh God, what are you doing to me? Um, well, basically I was adopted at 10 months old into an all white family and growing up was just quite interesting. So I just led an interesting life and a lot of life lessons. And I just kind of want to share that just to maybe relate to somebody else out there and hopefully help them. Awesome. That's a very quick summary. So to, to <laughs> Linda's a little nervous, guys, so we're going to have to bear with her until she gets warmed up. Um, to dive in a little more, so Linda, um, his, her biological father is black and then her biological mother is white. Uh, so when she's saying she's adopted into a white family, it's, um, you know, a culture shock for everyone in the community to see white parents that, you know, as we speak about growing and raising kids of different races. Um, you, if you kind of want to just talk about that a little bit. At first, I didn't, you know, you didn't really realize anything. Mm-hmm. And then kind of as you get older, you realize as you go out or you're at church or you're at the store and everyone's staring at you. And then you finally ask your mom or I ask my mom, why is everybody staring at us? And she just gave me the reason, well, you're so cute. You have this curly hair and you chubby cheeks and you're just cute. So that's kind of what I thought. Well, later I realized that it was just because our family was quite different. So society kind of let us know that that was not what you normally see, Mm -hmm. especially back in 1980. Now, can I assume that this means that you did not grow up in a diverse neighborhood? I mean, for you to be stared at... uh, you know, chances are you, you were in a, a neighborhood that was predominantly white. I actually, we actually grew, we actually lived in the country, so we didn't even really have a neighborhood or any neighbors for that matter. So we were just kind of out there. So when we went into town or went to church on Sunday at the Catholic church, you know, you just start noticing at a certain age that you, 
you're just very different. But you were family. like an oddity. So, so yes. from from our conversation though, before um, their town was almost like a, it was almost like segregated, right? There was a black side of town, there was a white side of town, right? Yeah, for the se. most, yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, there was a mix everywhere, but you know, like it predominantly north side west side east side and you were on the white side of the tracks <laughs> yes <laughs> i was just in the sticks okay you were on the in white the side sticks. of the sticks yes for sure absolutely yeah so there's definitely like a lot of things from what you guys said that or from what you said that i want to jump into and i'm trying to think of the best start and end point because you know you at first you talk about um how people would always be staring at you and your mom would always tell you it's because they thought you were cute. And, you know, we had this conversation off, you know, off recording. And I think it's good to have on is that that affects you now because when people give you a compliment, you think it's a backhanded compliment, right? Absolutely. Cause you were, you know, raised your whole life, people looking at you and staring at you and it, basically it was a lie. Right. Like you, that's how I interpreted it. Yeah. Yes. If you want to kind of just like talk a little bit about that, that would, that would be yeah. Awesome. So now as an adult, I cannot stand for anyone to look at me longer than five seconds. Like I want to know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel like I'm doing it right now. It's okay. I think no, you're, you're cute. Allowed. You're cute. <laughs> well, thanks. Um, but when someone that I, that I don't know is staring at me, whether it's at a stoplight in my car or in the grocery, um, I'm just thinking, I'm mm-hmm. wondering why they're why they're looking at me, and I automatically assume that it's not something that's good mm-hmm. at all. So I want tinted windows. I wear a hat when I go out. Um, I'll hide behind my hair. Like I just anything not to make eye contact, or that's just kind of how I get through going out. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to come encounter with people looking at me or making a compliment towards me because I don't really know how to take it. And I, or trust it. Or trust it. Yeah. And I can't just say you're a liar. <laughs> I can't tell people they're a liar. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's kind of the, the biggest the biggest obstacle that I've found that I've had. <clears throat> One of them. Yeah, and, and you know, that's it's such an interesting thing to think about because, you know, as we talked about we think about how much um, words affect kids, uh, but we don't think about, you know, how much words affect adults because of when they were a kid. Um, so we think that adults should have this thicker skin because, you know, they're adults now, but we sometimes don't think about the the trauma that had happened when they were little um, and the effect that it has on them today. So we try to be a lot more patient and, you know, watch what we say around children and we really should be patient and watch what we say around people because, you know, we don't know what it is that they want went through or are currently going through. Um, kind of just to – I, I want to come back to the adoption just a little bit just because I know we talked about it in the, in the video, but I want to touch on it now. Um, you know, adoption back then was so much different than adoption is now. Um, you know, when you were adopted, you, your adopted parents went – and paid, yeah, they paid a hundred bucks, signed signed a paper, and took you home. Yeah, um, and and it's interesting. So your adopted parents were by, were able to have their own children. You have two brothers from them, and then they adopted 
um, your sister first and then they adopted you after. Um, so they have a, you, you have this whole mixed family. It's not just like a singular, it's this Brady Bunch yeah. almost of, of mixed family. Modern day Brady Bunch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and this is back in 1977 was when I was adopted and yeah. You just yeah. did I do not not look that old. I know. It's no, insane. no, no. I honestly thought you were our age. That's yeah. It's like, insane. And I'm born in ninety one. Becky's ninety. Yeah. My child was born in ninety seven. You have a child? <laughs> yeah. <she's... laughs> um, but it's it's so interesting because that's a a whole another another topic and discussion is, you know, people pay fifty hundreds of thousands of dollars to adopt a child, and. You know, not that I'm saying it should cost a hundred bucks to adopt a kid, right? Um, but it was just crazy to think about how much easier it was back then to to just adopt and and to make things clear. If you haven't watched the video, um, you were adopted from the same county, which was kind of frowned upon, right? Yeah, so, my my mom said that it was not allowed. I don't know if "illegal" is the right word, but mm-hmm. to place a child in the same zip code that they were born. Mm-hmm. But because the Fosnots were open to just give us whatever, boy, girl, didn't care the race, I assume that they had a placement for us or for me and didn't want to not follow that rule because then I would have stayed in foster care. Mm-hmm. So they just went ahead and just said, tell them you got them in Indi- over in Indianapolis if anyone asks. Mm-hmm. So kind of went with that. Yeah, so that that leads into dun, a dun, very dun. very interesting um, situation. So you're adopted in the same town that you were born in. So the chances of you running into people that you are related to um, are more than likely. Um, so your parent, your biological parents were 14 when they had you. 14. My dad was 14. He was in the eighth grade, and my mom was 15 in the ninth grade. <clears throat> and so that is part of the reason why they gave you up um we can talk about the reasons why after we talk about i guess the meeting of everything um so yeah your parents were young they gave you up and then someone in the same town adopted you without them knowing yes yeah so basically i had my daughter at the same hospital hospital that i was born yes which is (laughs) which is frowned upon (laughs) okay it was the only hospital yeah, in, so, in Richmond. So if you could kind of explain that situation of how you found or how and why you found your biological parents, what made you want to find them, and then the things that you found out after you found them. Um, I wanted to know just mainly because I didn't look like – my parents. No one ever told me, oh, you look just like your mom or you look just like your dad, because obviously I did not look anything like them at all. So that was important to me, like to identify with someone because I would see the boys and then we would go around family when we had Easter or whatever. And you could always, you could see the resemblance in everyone. So you just, even though they didn't make me feel out of place or not like I belonged, it was just like an inner, an inner struggle that you just kind of look around like, you know, the hands or the face or the nose, just anything. You're just looking for something. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to interject actually. When did you first discover 
or maybe acknowledge that you were adopted. Obviously, as a child, you're looking at your arms and your hands and you're realizing they're not the same color as your parents. But did they have a conversation with you? Did you approach them and say, hey, what's up? Why is there a color differentiation? Like, how did that go? I I don't remember a specific situation. I remember not a conversation that they had with me. It was more when we went to the store and they never thought that I was with them. Like if we were checking out of the store or we went to the Dairy Queen and I'd come around and put my chin, you know, on the counter and they were like, little girl, you're going to have to wait, wait in line, you know, get back in line. And my mom's like, no, she's, she's with us. So my mom said that she always would put her hands on us at the checkout or wherever we were so that people knew that we were with them. So this was sort of assumed, like it's almost like you used context clues to, to figure it out on your own. Yeah. And people just, they just never put us together because you would not see a white family with two black children. You just, you just didn't see the mixing of the races so much as you do now. So that's really, it was really society. I remember one time when uh, we went to the drugstore and as a child, you know, they always have those buy one, get one free on the back of the candy bar or whatever. And knowing now it's, it's usually a rebate and you have to cut it out and send it in. So my friend and I, you know, we were just all excited that we were going to get two candy bars and one for free. And I had used some money I earned cleaning the house or something like that. So I was in line in front of my mom and I was trying to explain to this lady, I had two and I only had so much money. And she was like, no, it's a rebate. It's not an in-store Purchase. Purchase. Yeah. So we were, I was just like, okay, whatever. And then when I walked away, she said to my mom, not knowing, the lady didn't know that that was my mom. And she said, they're always trying to get stuff for free. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and my mom, Carol, she just, I don't want to call her naive, but she just didn't see color. She just, they just didn't. My family just didn't. That's just how they were. So she probably was not prepared for someone to say that because to her it was it was just what what do you mean you know that's that's my child so I wouldn't say she didn't stick up for us but she never knew how to react to that she just kind of brushed it off or you know she didn't do what I would do as a parent or what people might do in today's world today right yeah I mean it is a different and she probably I don't know what she would do today she'd probably say something yeah, because she's starting to realize kind of how society is and people just say things. And now she's starting to get offended and she realizes and she's reflecting on some of the things that I would tell her happened to me growing up. And she's like, oh, when you told me that the police officer was following you around the, the mall, she was like, they absolutely were. But I didn't believe you back then. And I was like, no, you girls are silly. You know, they are not following you around the mall. She says, I think back, she said, and they absolutely were. And so now she gets frustrated and angry and, and says, oh, that's not right. And I just look at her and I say, this is, this is my life. This is just how it's been. I'm like, calm down. You know, it's okay. And she's like, well, it just makes me angry. And I'm like, well, I used to be angry, but, you know, you just run out of energy for that. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's better, at least for me, to try to educate or just make someone feel 
stupid or seriously uncomfortable <laughs> for the comment that they just let come out of their mouth. So I tend to stare. So you say that your parents didn't see color, but you obviously saw color, justifiably so. Did this play into your decision as to why you reached out to your parents? Did you even reach out to your parents? How exactly did did that re, you know reunion come about? I I can't remember a specific. Um, I used to. My mom and I discussed a, a situation that we had. I was it was my first communion, so we had to meet with the priest kind of beforehand before that Sunday came up. And she said that we were driving back, and she even remembers the spot on the road where we were at driving home. We lived in the country. And she said, you know what? She said, I'm thinking of two things. She said, Jesus and my real mom. And that's what she said that I told her. And I was probably in the fourth grade, she said. So from then on, I mean, I can just remember that that was always something that I longed to know and I needed to know for me. Um, so we just pursued that. And as, as a 10 year old, 11 year old, 12 year old, you're not ready for that. So I think as I got older, we, we kind of did some of those, um, databases where you could fill out your information. And if the, the birth parent filled out the same information, they would match you up, did some of that sort of stuff, didn't have any luck. And then when I was 19, she just put a one-by-one ad in the back of the paper, like where their adoption, selling furniture, you know, <laughs> in the back of the paper, and just put the information that was given to them when they got me. So it was just like the father, biological father, um, black, average high school student, no known health problems, very athletic, biological mom, blonde hair, blue eyes. Average high school student, no known health problems. So they didn't even know their names. And no. I say that because obviously in this, you know, late 70s, early 80s, wherever no. decade we're in now, the records were not as, you know, no, abundant were, as they are today. Yeah. Okay. Sealed, closed. So just put the ad in the paper and nec the next day, each of them answered separately. Like the following day. My biological dad, it was his wife who saw it and then my biological mom, it was her sister. So, uh, and I was away working at a camp in Bemidji, Minnesota. So she, Carol, my mom met with each of them separately before I came home. And then when I got home, I met with them and they came over to the house each separately. And that I remember very little of. You would think that I would hold on to that and I would remember every single detail and I'm not sure if my mind has just blacked that out there's there's a lot of things that my mom will say happen and I don't I have no recollection no recollection at all maybe it's maybe it's because and just from having conversations with you um maybe it's because they weren't who you wanted them to be um, when you met them and, and not nothing against them, maybe you had this like idea of them that they were, you know, this higher power. Um, and then you met them and you like, so that's why it wasn't this significant time in your life because they didn't make the impact that you had like hoped that they would make. Yeah. Cause it's like a, this build up, build up, build mm -hmm. up. And you, you just run it and play it through your mind. Like what you would do, what you would say, how it would be. And then it, I wouldn't say that it, it wasn't upset. 
I think that it's just so suspenseful. And then when it happens, then you're like, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. Because that, that just drove you for so many years. You know, you just long, long, long. And then it was like, now what am I supposed to do with you? Now I know who you are. So, you know, then you go and meet family members and they're your aunts and uncles and siblings, siblings. And you're just overwhelmed beyond what anyone could probably imagine. Did you feel welcomed into this new family though? Like I know that, you know, maybe it wasn't so much that you had set an expectation that they didn't meet, but how did you feel being introduced to all these new people that you shared DNA with? Well, due to the fact that I was not welcomed with open arms per se with the black community, as far as when I was in high school, middle school, um, I wasn't quite black enough, if you will. Uh, so I was very intimidated to go on my biological father's side because that was probably the most black people I've been in the same room with ever in my life. And then to know that I'm related to all of them was just quite overwhelming. And I think some of them knew that he had a child. Some of them then had no clue. So So you've never really felt like you've belonged because even when you meet the people that are blood, the people that you have wondered about for years and that you, you have always kind of felt like, Oh, I must identify with them. You still don't, you still don't have that feeling. And, and, and you are, I mean, biologically you are half black, you're half white. And I, that in and of itself seems like an identity, an identity crisis. crisis. Yeah. 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 For sure. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Absolutely is. Absolutely. Uh, I found more comfort in personality, uh, similarities that I had with my biological father. Um, that made me feel some sort of connection there. Like, okay. Cause I was always different than the other kids. I had more personality. I was kind of louder, jumped around. Um, it was always like, sit still, Linda, sit still. And then when I met him, I said, I'm just fine. <laughs> they say that I'm him, but in a female body. So uh, he's, he is a handful. So, and I can be at times too. So, so that explained it. So I didn't feel out of place anymore. Like I thought, okay, I wasn't just an obnoxious little kid. That was my personality. And that's what I got from him. It was like mystery solved. Mystery solved. So then when I would go around that side of the family... Everyone was was kind of that way, mm-hmm. so it, so you I just routinely kinda... were able to like bond with this family. Mm-hmm. It wasn't you know a single solitary encounter. Like you no. grew up yeah. with your family, your biological family. Well, I met him when I was twenty. Okay, so so not grew up, but I mean, yeah, your adulthood, your young adulthood, mm-hmm. and I would imagine I don't I don't know, and I'm, this is my follow up. <laughs> Do you still have a relationship with them today? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And how does that help you navigate motherhood? But it was it was different for your mom, though, right? Yeah, I, the relationship with your mom, the maternal fa- side of your family, it was it was a lot different than your yeah. father. And that was the question that I had for her um, and him was what was the reason? Even though I kind of knew, I mean, one, you're young, but I knew that there was probably more to that just because of the time, and it was because I was biracial, and her mother was just 
no, that's not going to happen because she had another child at 17 and another child at 19 and they are Caucasian and she kept them. So, so it's like, and, and we talked about this and it's like, we, you know, you search for this meaning, right? You grow up wanting to know why, why wasn't I good enough? And it, it goes on to your life now is, you know, why am I not good enough for this person? Why am I not good enough for this person? And it doesn't take away from, you know, your adopted parents because you speak very highly of them. Um, and I hope that, you know, people listening understand that if they have a child that isn't biologically theirs and they go through this phase of life that it doesn't ref- reflect the parent that they are, um, it's this identity that as a person that the child or whoever it is that they're going through. Um, I think from my experience and not just you and other and other guests that have come on, you know, we we want reasons, right? We want to know why people didn't want us. Yeah. Um, and I think that because your answers came so late in life that it it affects your life still. Is, is that fair to say? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think when I met her, she was just in a different place at that time. We connected to a certain extent. I met my siblings, um, just very different on my biological dad's side. It seemed more, you know, middle-class kind of grew up the same family wise, but my mom just seemed just a different, different level, if you will. So that I, I don't think that there were many family members that knew that I existed. Just a, a different level, which, which way? So I don't know if, it, yeah. So it was a, a nice way of just a little, I guess, below, mid, like. Below middle, middle class. Yeah, below middle class um, is a nice way to put it. I think that the fact that your mother, and it, and it's nothing against your biological, like it's, it's you know, it's how she was raised. It's how she, she was grown up. You know, that's what she knows. She was raised in a, in a lower class community she was raised that way um and I think that it goes back to what we were saying before you met her and you know it was different it was different than like you could you expected especially having a white female dominant in your life you know you're meeting another white female who's supposed to be your biological mother and it's like hoping that she's above what you already have almost I guess or Or equivalent equivalent yeah and I think she was just in a different space And I think so was I. So, and I think she carried a lot of guilt. My biological father told me she just, after that was, after she got out of the hospital, she was never the same and never, never has been the same. And she just kind of dealt going through high school with, um, with different things that she struggled with. So I think she carried that guilt because she couldn't bring me home, but she wanted to, and she was forced to give me up. And just and so you and your um, biological mother didn't really form a relationship then when you met you guys kind of just like recently, recently, a, recently, yeah, recent like uh, two months ago, three months ago, recently, after Christmas. Yeah. So after you Christmas. just finally, yeah, started to form a relationship. Yeah, we we had a a little bit of one, but not like we do now, and not like I do with my biological father. Mm -hmm. 
I'm not sure that it will ever be the same. I don't know why, but um, we just didn't we just didn't connect for whatever reason. So she had my number, and she didn't utilize it. And she would see my biological father around town, around Richmond, driving around, and would ask about me. Have you talked to Linda? Have you seen her? Da da da. And he would say, Yeah, I've seen her. You know, you want to call her? And she's really shy. Um, unlike me (laughs) out there. So she never utilized my number. She never used it, never called me, nothing. And I would think this day and age, like a text, give me something. So that was very hurtful because it was like I was not good enough twice. So I had to deal with it again. So then I'm really mind blown at this point. Um, And I I remember my biological dad and I had had plans to meet with her it was probably 15 years ago at least 15 years ago to meet up because I wanted questions like why why haven't you contacted me and now you know where I'm at and you said you wanted to know where I was and you always thought about me and now you know where I'm at and you're you're not doing any of those things so I need answers to help myself heal and she didn't show up and I talked to her the day before and I drove from Indianapolis to meet. And I remember um, Papa and I, that's what I call him, were waiting for her. And she was a no-show. So after that, I just kind of buried that, if you will. And then I, de- dealing with depression and just everything that's kind of gone with this my whole life, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to heal. And that is probably part of the center of my healing. Mm-hmm. So... I kind of told myself, okay, we're going to deal with this depression. I'm going to reach out to her one more time. And if she is receptive, if she's receptive. And if not, I'm just going to have to like let it go and realize that it's not, it's not my issue, it's hers. And I think when I'd kind of made that decision, maybe after Thanksgiving, before Christmas, she waved at me through Messenger because I'm not on Facebook anymore. She waved at me through Messenger. So I, I waved back, and she asked how I was, and I just said, not very well. You know, I'm struggling with my depression um, and this whole adoption thing and, and everything. And so I said, you know, we just both need to heal. I think it would be really good if we just got together. Whatever's happened in the past, you know, I need to heal, you need to heal. And um, we started um, talking via text, and she was like, this is the best Christmas present I could have ever gotten. So, and I, I explained to her, I said, I just need something. One text, one word, once a week, once a month, some sort of communication with you. And she said, okay, cool. And so ever since then, I've talked to her almost every day, if not three, four times a week. And then I went to see her for the first time after 15, 15 years. So when I would go home to visit other family members, I mean, she was just in town somewhere. I didn't know where she lived, but and to know that you're that close and you just can't get there, can't reach out, can't. Yeah. Now, is I mean, you know, obviously you you kind of put the, the ball in her court here. But is she the one that is reaching out to you on a regular basis or, you know, would you? Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Okay. And she actually um got me a really nice like infinity necklace for Christmas. Um, 
with a really nice message and everything. And she was really excited to give that to me. And that, that meant a lot. That meant a lot. So it's good. So it's really helped me heal. And then I found this opportunity on For the Haters when you guys had just shortly after you started that and submitted my story and really wanted to help anyone else that I could that was either adopted or just anything dealt with depression. Identity. <clears throat> yeah. Just who, who are you? What are you? Where mm-hmm. do you fit in? And so I have this opportunity and I just really hope that it helps someone in some sort of way. Or you can find someone that can help you maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You, you know, and, and speaking to that, you deal with this pain still today. Um, and it's, it's really crazy to me that both the people that we've had on that have, a, you guys have, your stories don't align like in most ways, but the common factor between your stories both affect you both now as adults in almost the same exact way. Um, you said to us word for word, you know, right before we jumped on is you just want to be good enough for someone and you don't think that you ever will be. Um, and those are the exact words that we had Ryan say to us. Um, if you could kind of just like talk about how that affects your life now and, and you know, in your relationships now or your lack of relationships. My lack of. Yeah. Um, I really put, I find that I have put myself in situations where someone, like I'm somebody's buddy, you know, or friend with benefits. And I'm still their friend and we're buddies and we hang out and we do all this stuff. But I've, it's kind of like I know that they don't want a relationship, which is good for me because then they can't, I can't not be good enough. So I just, that's, and I kind of stopped and have kind of reflected to try to stop myself because so many of these things are defense mechanisms that I've just kind of formed over all these years so unless I kind of track back why I do what I do I can't I can't stop it moving forward so I've thought back and I thought well every relationship that I've had has been I knew it wasn't going to go anywhere and that's to protect myself do you feel that you're the only person that like feels that way you know like do you feel that you're the only person that like plays life in that sense, you know, like that I'm not good enough for someone and, you know, you stay in that zone and, and like find that zone and that's it. I think there's a lot of people out there. I think their why and what got them to that point is different, Mm -hmm. but the feeling is the same. And I feel like there's got to be some sort of similarity Mm -hmm. to fixing that. The only reason I say that is, you know, I'm interested to know there has to be people that feel that way, that feel like they're so alone and feeling that way and not realizing that there's so many other people that that are that way. And I and, you know, I'm just thinking of Ryan, like he was here and, you know, it felt like he was so alone and feeling that way. And it was I don't want to say embarrassed, but like. It, it, that's what he identified with and like to hear your story and to, to hear how much you guys relate in your feelings and like in everything it just like m- makes me realize how many other people that there possibly could be in this world that feel exactly the way you do and it's so important for us to talk about because maybe we can help someone before it gets that like gets to that point maybe we can 
reach a parent that has a kid that's adopted that can help their child be able to work through these issues now before they, you know, get into their adult years of this. Because, you know, once we all know, once you reach adulthood, it's a lot harder to get over those traumas that we go through as a child. And maybe we can start working on them younger, you know, and I don't know what the what that is but at least starting the conversation and making people realize that there are these issues that are happening to people and we might just not know it but they are they are happening yeah just just kind of take a look at yourself and what it is you're doing and and the why behind it and you just might kind of realize that it's something that you've just automatically done just to protect yourself the best way I try to explain it to people is I'm right-handed and you guys might be right-handed, left-handed. If tomorrow I told you to wake up and be left-handed and be proficient at it, could you do it? No, I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have. Yeah. No. I so I can't switch that off just because I know now the reasons why I was given up. Because that six-year-old little girl and me and seven-year-old, that... That started questioning yeah, you it. can't. Yeah. And, and, you know, and we were talking about this as well is... You know, you have all these people that tell you, you know, you should be happy that you got adopted by a loving family. You should be happy that you weren't in foster care your entire life. And, you know, we have recently talked about this, like, just because your life wasn't hard doesn't take away from the struggles that you had, right? You know, just because you weren't in foster care your entire life, just because you weren't put into a family that abused you in some way. Right you know, doesn't take away from that pain that you had from, you know, being given up as a child from whatever your pain is stemming from. And people do not understand that. And they try to make you feel better. Mm -hmm. And they try to force you to feel better because you should feel better. But yes, you know, if we could just listen, if we could just sit and listen to someone and let them feel that pain and let them, you know, just let that out and not try to you know, reprimand them for feeling that way. Yes. I feel guilty. Like people try to make me feel guilty and I know they're trying to help, but it's probably the worst thing I feel like you could say to someone who was adopted is, well, at least you got adopted. Well, at least you weren't in foster care. And I'm like, so I'm not allowed to feel this way. Yeah, you are. You are allowed to feel this way. You're entitled to it. And I think it's hard in a different way. And that doesn't, you know, just because you've, maybe had circumstances that other, you know, kids who were put up for adoption did not, it doesn't discount how you feel about the way that you were raised. You know, and I say this all the time. We, you know, say this collectively as a group, like you don't have to feel like you're competing stories. Right. It's not a a conversation. Like this is why we're kind of creating this community to, to make people aware of that. So everybody relaxed to things differently. Um, my sister, that was also adopted she's dealt with her adoption and all of that very differently than I have I don't even remember it being an issue and she is also biracial as well biologically biracial your sister okay so we're biologically not connected connected no no no, but but she would have the exact same exact identity breakup or or makeup rather yes okay and she's five years older but I don't know if that has a part to play in it since there was such a gap Um, with our age but I just never it just was never was this something you felt like you could talk to her about though like to have this asset in your household that should know exactly where you're coming from yeah and I remember we used to say 
we're going to live next to each other because nobody's going to want us. Oh, my God. How is your relationship with her today? We're close. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of forgot about I kind of forgot about that. But we did. We thought we were going to either live together or build houses next to each other. You know, and and speaking with you before about your sister, it it's it's heartwarming to to hear that because I know that growing up you guys kind of had these two different lives. Um, you know, with what you picked and chose to identify with because you didn't have something natural given to either of you. Um, and it makes me happy to know that you had someone to to have there. Yeah. Um, but it also makes me so sad to think about people that don't. Um, and, and this it, is why we're here. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it just like breaks my heart to think like a child, like, you know, you were a child lost and like I, I never had to really, I never really had to go through that as a child, you know, like, yeah you know, like obviously questioning my sexuality is, is a thing, but like that never affected my life like at all. Traumatically. Yeah. It never like was a traumatic experience for me. And it just like hurts to think about how many like kids are struggling with something that like how, like how, I don't know, like how do you fix it? How do you change it? How do you start the conversation about it? How do you, you know, make a difference and like have I don't know it's especially even like just thinking about like Ryan like sitting here and you know he was raised by um his grandparents for the most part and like he still even like went through the whole not being loved and not feeling like he was good enough for anyone ah man like I don't I don't know it's just like so it's so freaking hard to to think about or imagine or even like I mean you're you're a mother now like do you feel like you were able to be a better parent because of the things that you went through do you do you feel like it affected your life at all like in in a parenthood sense I've asked myself that that question before too and I think the biggest thing that I wanted to do and I don't know if parents do this now just because the world is evil in my eyes especially for kids growing up. It, it is. I don't even... It's a cruel world. It, it's it, I, horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Um, I wanted to, as a parent, to equip her and let her know, when you walk out these doors, people aren't nice. Mm-hmm. Whether you have big ears, a big nose, your hair isn't... Someone is going to say something not nice. Someone is going to make fun of you. And they shouldn't, but they are. And you are also biracial, so you need to expect that as well. And I wanted to, for her to really have a diverse growing up. So she'll listen to everything from Shania Twain to Wiz Khalifa and everything in between. Luke mm-hmm. Bryan, she'll go to a country concert. Then we're going to, you know, Drake concert and, and all of that. So I really wanted her to kind of be all the way across the board. So I moved from Richmond and we moved to Indianapolis and she was in a school where there was, you know, maybe four or five, six white kids in her class. And then there was Indian and Hispanic and all different kinds of races. So for me, I wanted her not to ever feel like the only one. Yeah. That was my, that was my goal for her. Um, and I wanted her to know about all realms 
and of school, I mean, of music and genres, and if you will, because I got drilled, man. I went from, you know, my dad played the Simon and Garfunkel <laughs> record on Sundays when he was sweeping the couch and sweeping the carpets. And I didn't realize that uh, other black kids that I went to school with were not listening to that or the Willie Nelson Stardust album. Like, hello, like nobody, <laughs> the Casey Kasem top 40, you know, that's, that's what we were listening to. Yeah. And when I got into middle school and it was like kid and play and, you know, Marvin Gaye and this, and it was like, I was, I needed to be just banned, like for not knowing about that kind of stuff. And I didn't know, I didn't know that I needed to know these things. And so I wasn't, I wasn't black enough. I wasn't black enough. Yeah. And that's what you, you try to prevent from your daughter. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that that's, that's important in every family, but for me, I just, I didn't want her to feel like that. I think creating a well-rounded individual is important or should be important in every family. So I think you've, you know, I know that you're obviously coming from a different place than, than I would or Becky would, but the message is, is the same. And I think that you've done an excellent job. I'm going to have to agree with that. Um, Unfortunately, we are definitely running out of time. Um, I know we've had a lot of conversations about different aspects, some were short, some were longer. Um, But I think, and I'm hoping that all around that there's a message coming from this that will resonate with someone that's listening. Um, Maybe there's someone that's listening that went through it and found a coping mechanism that, you know, they could reach out and help you with. To kind of wrap up, um, if you could kind of just give final word of advice, um, maybe for someone that grew up like you did, or maybe someone that's growing up like you did, or, you know, just life, like, you know, what's, what's something that you could give to everyone? Well, whether you're adopted or raised by your grandparents or another family member, you are good enough. You know, I mean, you're here for a reason and don't ever think that you're less than because you didn't grow up like how society thinks you're supposed to with A, B, and C and and that. So just know that you're good enough. And if you're not feeling that way, find someone to talk to, find someone to relate to, and um, raise your children if you have them to be nice people. Nice people and um, not be mean to kids because it can really affect their lives. And maybe they're not able to be as good as they could have been. We're here just shaking. Our I know. Head for I was going to say that. I can't see it. We're all like, yeah. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, that was amazing. That was perfect. Um, just thank you so much for flying out here and taking the time out of your weekend, out of your life, to come and and sit with us and talk to us and open up to us. Um, we hope that from this it can give you another step forward and and moving forward with your life. Um, you know, I think as a group, I can collectively say that this is going to make a difference. Um, and we're excited to, to show you the difference that it's going to make. Um, so thank you very much for, for coming out here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, Laura, I don't know if you have any sign off words. Um, just that I think that, you know, we've been doing this for a few months now and everyone's story is different, but today, like this sort of reminded me why I'm doing this, why we're doing this. And I, and I, I mean that, and I haven't said that yet. And, um, So just really just thank you. Yeah. Thank Thank you you. for the platform. This is uh, definitely a a big part of 
of my healing and moving forward and trying to kind of purge all of this and, and, uh, make myself believe that I am good enough and worth it. And you are, so yeah. thank yeah. you. I can promise you that. <laughs> thank you. Awesome guys. So thank you so much for everyone listening. Uh, we are so happy to have you here just like every week. Please make sure to go onto our social media, our Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, podcast, everything, website, subscribe, like, comment, get everyone on board, share with a friend, share with someone that you think that this may help them. We want to hear your guys' story, reach out to us. Um, so yeah, just, just keep on continuing what you guys are doing. And thank you so much uh, for listening. We'll catch you guys next week. For the haters, for the haters, come on to it now or later. It don't matter what your name is, share your story